You're listening to the Morphology Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Morphology Podcast, aka Murph here, to share interviews about biking experiences from cyclists who have pedaled to places all over the U.S. Each week we will get to know new people and explore new destinations to ride your bike. As you listen to these adventures, you may wonder, why haven't I done that yet? All right, well, on the show today, we have Chris Welch. Hey, Chris, how's it going? Hey, not too bad. How are you doing? Good, good. Well, we're recording this the beginning of June, and it's, I can't believe I'm still saying this, but we're still kind of in a weird place as far as uh, how the world is with pandemic stuff. Now we've got some riot stuff going on. So it's just a crazy time to uh, be, don't you think? Absolutely. It's it's definitely strange for me because I'm not sure if, if you knew this or the listeners knew this, but I actually moved from Iowa to Colorado right during the pandemic for work. Oh, wow. So it's been a, it's been an interesting time for me. Well, at least uh, luckily still we can bicycle um, yeah. and get away from it all, at least if it's only temporary. So uh, anyway, welcome to the podcast. And I'm excited to talk to you a little bit about uh, cycling where you live. And now I know it's Colorado, which is going to be awesome. And you are, I think that you are more into like ultra cycling, gravel, fat bike. Am I correct in saying that? Yeah, pretty much anything long distance. Okay. Um, I used to do a lot of road biking, but I've kind of gotten away from that. Now I'm more gravel and mountain bike and fat bike. Awesome. Well, why don't we start out by, um, you know, you think about when you're a kid, everybody kind of goes through that phase where they have a bike and they, you know, that's their only form of transportation. And then they go to college and maybe get another bike because they need it again for transportation. Then they kind of stop biking and then then they grow up and realize biking is awesome as far as exercise and <laughs> mental health. So what's your story on getting into cycling as an adult? So when I was younger, uh, my parents, uh, I grew up in Dubuque, Iowa, and my parents used to take me out on the Heritage Trail biking all mm. the time. And so that was really where I found a love for biking. Yeah. Um, my parents also you know, were involved with Ride Bry, and they, they took me out and they had bikes. And again, kind of like you said, um, you know, I went to college. I went to college in, in Iowa. I went to northern Iowa. And when I was at northern Iowa, I biked. You know, it was mostly for transportation. Sometimes it was for a workout. But I would say most of the time it was just to get to class and back. You know, I would lock up my bike at the northern Iowa dorm, and then I would ride it to class and mm -hmm. then ride it kind of for fitness. Um, then I went to uh, Creighton for law school in Omaha. And I continued to use that. It was like an older Trek mountain bike um, that I didn't even know anything about mountain biking. I pretty much was just using it on the roads. Um, so then fast forward a couple of years later, and I was an attorney in Dubuque by my hometown. And one of my coworkers, he knew that I was doing a lot of trail running and a lot of yoga, and I was teaching yoga. And he suggested that I diversify and come to a group ride. Mm. And so I borrowed my dad's road bike, which was funny because my dad is five foot six and I'm six foot four. So oh. there's a huge height discrepancy. <laughs> right. And I showed up and I loved it, but I struggled to keep up. And so the next day I walked into Free Flight in Dubuque, Iowa. I think this is probably maybe 2014 and bought a Trek road bike. And pretty much the rest was history. I went from road biking um, in group rides so like later that year, I think I bought my first fat bike um, and then started doing fat bike riding. And then I started doing gravel on my fat bike and then 
that same coworker, Tom Goodman in Dubuque, um, talked me into coming to Dirty Kanza with a group from Dubuque. Mm. And so I bought my first, it wasn't, I don't even think it was a gravel bike at the time. I think it might've been a cyclocross bike that I could throw bigger tires on, but Mm -hmm. I went to Dirty Kanza and I think that that probably started my love affair with doing longer distance events. Awesome. And for those who don't know, Dirty Kanza is a pretty much an ultimate uh, gravel bike ride. I think it's at different lengths. You have to pick your length, right? Right. So the first year I went, I just did the 100. I've mm-hmm. since done the 200. Okay. Um, but it was a good introduction, I think, for anybody that's looking to, to get into gravel or to get into ultra cycling. I know um, the Eastern Iowa debut crew t- tends to go every year and, and there's a big group that either does the 100 or the 200. And that was really my first taste of kind of bigger events and, and longer distance gravel racing. And I think the unique thing about gravel racing, uh, and I'm saying this because I, I have not done any gravel racing, but I have interviewed quite a few people in that, like Dirty Kansas is a great example. You don't really know your route, right, ahead of time? Right. You just find out on the fly, and you're pretty much on your own the whole time. Yeah, that's the thing that was, I think the coolest thing for me was that the first year that I went, I kind of thought that it would be all the Dubuque people riding together. Mm. And then after maybe the first 10 or 20 miles, it was kind of like every person for themselves. Right. And then you meet so many people on the course, um, you know, and that that's kind of the cool thing about gravel and, and about cycling in general is that even some of the friends that I have now in Colorado are people that I met at races in the past. You know, you're out there riding, you're struggling. You're, you're being self-supportive in terms of, you know, stopping if you have a flat and fixing it yourself. Mm-hmm. This isn't the pro tour where someone fixes your stuff or someone has <laughs> right. to do it for you. You have to kind of do it on your own. And so you end up meeting so many people um, out on the course that are kind of in the same situation as you or maybe riding at the same pace or, you know, maybe they're struggling like you are. And so you pick each other up. Mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned a couple things about ties to Iowa. And I'm sure everybody knows by now if that listens that I – am from Iowa, and I also still live in Iowa, but uh, I also went to UNI, so, you know, shout out to the Panthers out there, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and then you said you grew up in Dubuque. Tell us a little bit about, you know, like, do you remember cycling, you know, beyond the Heritage Trail? Like, were you a youngster or more like high school BMXing, that sort of thing? I was pretty young, and I what I mostly remember is my dad taking me over to Wisconsin and riding. Um you know, Dubuque is nice because it's right on the border of three different states. Mm. And, you know, even when you're an adult riding in Dubuque, a lot of the riding happens in Wisconsin because the roads are just beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're all paved. They don't have some of the potholes. Riding in Dubuque, um, I think, got me ready for riding in the mountains because <laughs> if you're familiar with that area or the Driftless region, the hills are huge. Yeah. And I remember being a kid and trying to ride up the hills or riding on the back of one of my parents' bikes and going up the hills was pretty insane Mm -hmm. Uh, but then you get to the heritage trail which is interesting and that was kind of the bike trail that my parents took me on the most or that i remember spending the most time biking on and it's almost completely flat Uh, but it's a beautiful beautiful trail it's a trail that i miss Um, it's a trail that i've used throughout the years both for racing for training for fat biking and that's kind of where i think as a youngster in, in that region you kind of chop your teeth is or cut your teeth, I should say, is is by riding that trail. Mm-hmm. Well, now fast forward to living in Colorado. Um, how would you describe the, uh, let's say, like the cycling culture, and then obviously, you know, what you do when you're out cycling? So I should I should back up a little bit. I also lived in Des Moines for the past few years. Oh, okay. And so 
Um, I think Des Moines also prepared me for riding in Colorado. Um, but going forward to Colorado, so I moved here. Um, and when I first got here, I wasn't able to ride because I had gotten hit by a car in Des Moines um, when I was cycling. And so I was coming off a hand injury, but I got here and I just knew that, you know, that as soon as I could ride, I needed to get out there. Um, the cycling culture here is amazing. I, I live in Manitou Springs, which is right outside of Colorado Springs. Okay. I live in the mountains, so I live at about 7,000 feet. Um, you can see Pikes Peak from my front door. Um, but I, one of the cool things about living in this area is that the cycling scene, everybody just looks like they're in world-class shape. Oh, wow. And the reason is, is because a lot of the people are either Olympians or former Olympians, um, and they're used to, to kind of riding around and, and doing these routes. So, you know, in Des Moines and Dubuque, when you would look at Strava, you would see people you know. And, and here it's just crazy because you look at Strava and everybody's either a pro or they're an Olympian. And so, you know, one of the things that shifted for me is that I moved here. And one of the first things people told me to do is that you need to buy a full suspension mountain bike. Mm. And so I went, uh, I started calling around and, you know, with COVID, it's tough to get a bike. Yeah. Um, and so I had a shop out of Denver build me up a full suspension mountain bike. And that's kind of become my passion the last month or two is, you know, exploring the mountains, exploring the trails, exploring like the real mountain biking. Not that Iowa doesn't have mountain biking, but this is actually like riding in the mountains mountain biking, which has right. been like a total shock to the system, but also pretty awesome. Awesome. And I, I have to throw this in. I just bought my first full suspension bike yesterday. Nice. And I'm so excited. They're cutting down the, uh, it has like uh, carbon handlebars and they're cutting it, cutting them down so that they're a little bit more for me at my five foot three. And you're right, there are no mountains in Iowa, but where I am, there are some pretty nice trails that you can get yourself in trouble with. So I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah, my first mountain bike race was in Iowa City, Sugar Bottom. Sure, I I yeah. Did the Sugar Bottom, I don't know if it was called the Endurance Classic or something like that, but it was way too many hours for my mountain bike skills. <laughs> and I was on a, my original fat bike, which did not have suspension. Yeah. Um, but it was amazing. And, it, and there are, I mean, there are so many good mountain bike trails, both in Des Moines and Dubuque. Dubuque has a huge network of, of mountain bike trails now. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I've obviously ridden in Cedar Rapids and Iowa City. And I don't want to take away from Iowa because Iowa definitely prepared me for the, the stuff that I'm facing here. I mean, mm -hmm. you definitely need a full suspension here. Mm -hmm. um, whereas I could get away with sometimes fat biking or even sometimes being on my gravel bike in, in Iowa. But here, um, definitely, I'm thankful that I had the experiences that I did riding in Iowa. Sure, but there's nothing that can beat, like what you said, looking at your front door and seeing a mountain. <laughs> yeah, you know, but that's the hard thing, too, is that you know, Dubuque and Des Moines, you know, I, I've definitely done it. We can talk about some of the events, some of the amazing events sure, that I've yeah. done in Des Moines. And I, I tell people here, I think Des Moines has the best cycling community in the world. Mm. Um, I think you can see that like on social media. I think you can see that with the races. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, Des Moines and Dubuque, you would do rides and have a ton of elevation gain, which is surprising to people that are listening that aren't from Iowa. Right. Um, but here it's just crazy because it's a different type of elevation gain. So when I leave my front door, if I want to just ride from my house, I might have to do a thousand or 2000 feet of sustained climbing 
right away, like right off the bat. So I'll be like at a mile and almost 2,000 feet of elevation gain, oh, which wow. is wow. just a shock to the system until you're until you're used to it. Yeah. So it's been humbling, but at the same time, I've seen my fitness just like leap forward so quickly in the last few weeks. Sure. Um, as I've gone from you know doing a ton of walking the bike to now I'm able to ride most of most of the mountains. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess while we're on the the topic, let's talk about bikes. I'm I'm hoping that you still have the fat bike and the gravel bike, but listeners always want to know what bike you have. So I just actually got rid of one of my favorite fat bikes. My original fat bike was a salsa. Um, I can't remember what the actual brand was, but it was one of the original fat bikes. And actually one of my friends in Des Moines, he was getting married and he just had a kid, Tyler Johnson, if you're listening, I hope you're using that bike well. But when I left (laughs) Des Moines um, in March, I left that fat bike with him. I now have a Salsa Bear Grease, which is a carbon fat bike, kind of like the racing fat bike. And I've used that a lot around here. Um, I don't know how big fat biking is yet here. When I first got here, there was snow on the ground. But the problem with the mountains is that with as much sunshine as we get, the snow melts really quickly. I have used that fat bike a few times. Um, There's a bike lodge in my little town here. And so they'll have like um, live music and stuff like that in the age of COVID where everybody sits six feet apart. Mm -hmm. And so I rode that fat bike a few times there. Um, I also have a salsa warbird that is damaged from when I got hit by the car in Des Moines. Um, So I'm waiting until my medical claim is over for that. And Mm -hmm. then I'll probably fix that up and use that for cycle cross or gravel. Um, I have a specialized Diverge gravel bike that has been great. Mm -hmm. I've been doing some road riding and some gravel riding around here on that route or on that bike. I try to find, so I go to Strava or I go to ride with GPS and try to search for gravel rides or, you know, some of the rides that the pros are riding around here. And Mm -hmm. I've done that. Um, my newest bike then is the Alchemy Arctos. Alchemy is a Denver brand. Um, they are all American made. And so they're one of the only, um, all carbon, um, made in America bikes. Excellent. Um, I thought that was kind of cool. Like I, I wasn't necessarily like, to be honest, I wasn't, you know, thinking I need an American bike or anything like that, but in the age of COVID where it's been so hard to, to get a bike from overseas, mm-hmm. I when I called around to the shops looking for mountain bikes, they basically told me your best bet is to wait until the fall. And I did not want to wait until the fall to mm-hmm. mountain bike. And right. so I started calling around looking for local boutique brands and got keyed into Alchemy. And Alchemy was great. I mean, they they I, had, I drove down to Denver. They met me outside. You know, they had their masks on and everything like that. They fitted me. They got me ready to go. Um, you know, they built everything in-house. It's all carbon. It's a beautiful bike. And so that's been the bike that I've been riding the most lately. Excellent. And do you do any bike packing when you, you know, you say ultra cyclist? Um, does that mean just for racing or are you actually bike packing as well? Yeah. So I have done a ton of bike packing in the past, um, especially with people from Iowa, which has been super fun. Mm. The last time I bike packed in Iowa is kind of a fun story. I went with one of my friends and her daughters, and we left from Des Moines and rode to the drive-in movie theater in Newton, Iowa. Oh, okay. And then camped in the grass at the at the movie theater. I think it was maybe 70 miles each way, um, which was pretty fun. Here, I've got a ton of ideas for bikepacking. In fact, I think in the next few weekends, I'm probably going to do the Ring the Peak Trail, which leaves basically from my front door in Manitou Springs. 
goes all the way around Pikes Peak and comes back through Colorado Springs and ends up again back at my front door on the mm-hmm. trail. It's about 100 miles maybe and 10,000 feet of elevation gain. So I'm thinking I'm probably going to do it in two days mm-hmm. on a mountain bike. And then I also have, um, I'd like to do the Cocopelli Trail, which starts um, in Colorado and ends in Moab, Utah. And I'm thinking probably of doing that maybe in July on one of the longer weekends and making that a two-day bikepacking event as well. Though I I think that's 140, and I'm not sure what the train is like yet. So oh, I'm still sure. kind of in preliminary planning. But I would like to do the Ring the Peak around Pikes Peak in the next few weeks. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned July. And so, you know, my Iowa mind right away was like, oh, my gosh, it's going to be like 90 degrees. But when you're at high elevation, I'm assuming that the the environment's much different. So it's kind of crazy that you say that because Saturday I went to Pueblo, which is maybe 45 minutes south. It's, it's like on the way to New Mexico, if, if you're thinking about ge- geographical locations. Mm-hmm. And I mountain biked and it was like 98 degrees. Oh, really? And I thought... I thought I was going to be in so much trouble, but it's a different type of heat, even in the desert. Mm -hmm. The only problem I had was that there wasn't any shade. And so riding in that type of terrain without any shade still beat me up, but it it didn't have the humidity from the corn like Iowa has. Like when you think about like the humidity, when you ride Ragbri or some of the, some of the famous summer events in Iowa, you know, you start getting above even 85 degrees and it starts getting intolerable. It wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. But when you ride like in Colorado Springs or you ride in Manitou or you ride in some of these other um, high alpine locations, the weather can change so drastically that if you see my pictures, like a lot of times my pictures on Facebook, my friends are like, is this pictures from three different rides? I'm like, no, this is pictures (laughs) from three different like locations on the ride where at some points it's super hot and you're wearing like, you know, your spandex bicycle kit. And then the next minute it's cold because you know, you're at a higher elevation. And so it really just depends. It, it's, but it's never as hot, especially in Colorado Springs as it is in Iowa. Mm-hmm. And so when you're bikepacking or when you're mountain biking or when you're road biking or you're gravel cycling, you really have to be cognizant of the fact that the weather can change extremely quickly. And, you know, I was on, I went with some friends to Utah, um, to, to the Colorado Utah border two weekends ago for a mountain bike trip. And our pictures were hilarious because in some of the pictures we're wearing winter clothes and it's snowing. (laughs) And then like 10 minutes later, we're at a lower elevation and we're in, you know, shorts and t-shirts or we're in, you know, like the bike kit. Yeah. And so, as I said, you just have to really plan for anything um, when you're on the adventures here, um, which has been a little bit tough for my brain to process because I like to be minimalist, especially if I'm just going to do a training ride and I have to remember that, descending is going to feel a lot colder than going up the mountain. Right. Yeah. You're, you're actually, you're going to have to pack for three seasons almost. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, you kind of dabbled a little bit on telling us some of your adventures, but do you want to get into like, I'm assuming you've done some races, some events, and then of course, just adventures with friends, but uh, give us some details. A quick interruption to tell you this week's sponsor is Thirsty Pigs, a full-service mobile event company offering beer, wine, spirits, plus catering for any indoor or outdoor event. Check out more at thirstypigs.com. Now back to the show. So I think some of my, my, my most fun events were in Des Moines. I think Des Moines has such a great cycling scene and such a great cycling culture. Mm-hmm. Um, when I lived in, in Dubuque, one of my favorite things to do was come to Des Moines for some of the events. So 
Um, some of the events that come to mind that were some of the most epic events were um, Spotted Horse. I did the first Spotted Horse, Sarah Cooper's race and Steve Fuller's race. I love those two. And I remember doing that race for the first year, maybe in 2015, and thinking that this is where I want to be. These roads are amazing. <laughs> I want to ride with these people. The same thing for 24 Hours of Coming, Steve Cannon's race. Mm-hmm. The first year that I did 24 Hours of Coming, I had no idea what I signed up for. <laughs> um, I did the full 400K, and I did it on my cyclocross bike. Oh, wow. And I still tell stories to this day of that. Because I had done some night riding in Dubuque, but I had not done night riding to the extent of, you know, you've already got 100 or 200 miles underneath you, and you're riding. It was just, for me, that was transformational, riding that route, riding those loops, riding in the coming area, riding in, you know, the Winterset area, um, you know, seeing the bridges of Madison County, mm-hmm. seeing all these things that I had heard about in Dubuque, but had never actually ridden or, or been a part of. And I think that that had me hooked, like that adventure or that riding for 24 hours self-contained. And I think that first year that I did 24 hours of coming, I think I probably rode at least 180 miles by myself, Oh wow! Um, which I was so used to riding with people in Dubuque and, you know, going on adventures and doing it with other people. And I was at the time I was doing a lot of bike packing and I actually, my sister had lived in, was living in Colorado Springs. And so I'd gone out to Colorado Springs and bike packed and done a ton of gravel that summer, but nothing, I don't think prepared me for being alone in the, in the hills of Iowa and mm-hmm. the gravel of Iowa for, for almost you know, maybe 21, 22 hours. And so that was transformational. And, and so, and I want to point out, I wanted to point out, I wanted to point out that both of those events you just described are gravel. And if I remember right, most years it's miserable weather. Yeah. So I, (laughs) I got really lucky the first year that I did spotted horse and the first year that I did 24 hours of coming because Every other year, I think it's been miserable. And the two and the the first year that I did both those races, it was perfect, oh, like great. seventy degree temperatures. Yeah, I think twenty four hours of coming that year got really really hot during the day, mm. but then by the time that night came, the wind completely died, and it actually got a bit chilly. And so it was a welcome reprieve from the the, the miles that I did during the day and the heat of the sun, where I kept running out of water. And, yeah. But you're right, like Spotted Horse normally is a total suffer fest. Right. And this year, I was actually signed up. And then I think I alluded to earlier, I got hit by a car. I got hit by a distracted driver in, in Des Moines um, like two or three weeks maybe before the race. And so I told Sarah and Steve, um, you know, I can be a support driver. And I have never been so glad that I was not able to race because <laughs> it was thunderstorms at the start. It was 40 or 50 degrees for the first maybe 50 miles of the race. And I was freezing in my car and miserable in my car, you know, trying to track these racers and trying to stay ahead of the race. And so you're right. Like Iowa, you just never know what you're going to get for weather and especially those longer distance events. And if you know Sarah Cooper well enough, which you do, um, she will always pick the routes that will make you suffer, even if there is perfect weather. Right. So I was actually signed up for um, Iowa Wind and Rock this year, which for people that don't know is Sarah Cooper and Steve's race. That's basically probably 340 miles at least. They don't really release the course ahead of time, so you Mm -hmm. don't know what to expect. But it was going to be about 340 miles, probably 30,000 feet of elevation gain, which even people listening in Colorado hear that and they're like, oh my gosh, how are you going to do that? (laughs) And you're right. Like they... 
you know, I've ridden with Sarah and Steve enough, and and especially Steve when I lived in Des Moines, that they pick routes to make you hurt. Yeah, like they want you to suffer. They want you to, they want you to find yourself, which I think is great about the Iowa cycling community. It's that if you do these races, even if you don't finish, or even if you you know have a mechanical or something like that, you've tested yourself because that you've you've taken part in an event where the route is not chosen for comfort. The route is not chosen to have everybody finished throughout is chosen to to not only include the best that Iowa has to offer, but also the hardest and most difficult routes that Iowa has to offer. Any other adventures you want to touch on? I think, I think going back to, to fat biking, I think fat biking is something that really Iowa is known for. And I think the adventure that, that I'd like to touch on just real briefly in terms of fat biking is I think one of the very first fat bike adventures that I ever went on is worth exploring. I always did every year the Triple D race in Dubuque, which is, for, for those that don't know, it's about a 70-mile um, or maybe a 100K uh, fat bike race in the middle of winter in January, generally like the coldest day of the year. There's been years that I've done it where there's, like this year, there was like almost 10 inches of snow and we ended up walking most of it. But other years, it's been negative 40 with the wind chill. There's been years that it's warm but super muddy. It's one of those races that I think tests you. Every year is a different story, but I think one of the coolest experiences or coolest adventures that I had is that in Dubuque, we would always have a huge group that would train together for it. Mm. And so we would go out and do fat bike rides or fat bike training rides, you know, months in advance and start getting our miles up on our fat bikes as soon as road bike or, or gravel season was over. And I'll never forget, I think it was 2015, and in Dubuque, they lovingly refer to this as the, the ice ride of death. And the problem with fat biking in Iowa is, again, temperatures and conditions can change so quickly. And so a group of us, maybe 10 or 15 of us in Dubuque, decided to go out on an all-day adventure. I think we were going to do maybe 50 or 60 miles on fat bikes, and we were going to ride out to a new brewery that had just opened outside of Dubuque. And so anyway, we started, and it was a beautiful winter day. There was snow, but it was all rideable snow if you ran a low enough tire pressure. Mm -hmm. It was sunny, so the snow was starting to melt. And so we get to the brewery, and everybody's feeling good, but then we realize that the brewery does not have any food. And so people start bonking, and people start saying, like, we need to leave. Um, The temperatures start dropping. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, it starts raining, and so it starts getting icy, And so we leave the brewery and people are out of water. Their water is frozen. They haven't had food. Everybody's shivering. And the next thing you know, the roads just become super icy. But in the spirit of Iowa, we all keep riding and pushing ourselves until finally someone breaks down and is like, I'm going to put out my thumb in the next, you know, farm truck that I see. I'm going to try to see if I can get a ride back to Dubuque. And so sure enough, they stuck out their thumb and a farm truck stops and is like, what are you guys doing? Like, you're crazy. Why would you be riding right now? There's an ice storm. And so they take the the one guy all the way back to Dubuque so that he can start getting cars. And so depending on how cold or how much everybody was bonking, um, depended on when you got picked up. And so it basically became, okay, let's keep riding so that we can maintain our heat and get close as possible to Dubuque. Um, while at the same time waiting for people to come pick us up. And so we lovingly referred to that as the ice ride of death. Everybody survived. I don't think anybody (laughs) got frostbite. But those are kind of the adventures that Iowa is known for, like where it's just all day, you know, adventures with friends. Um, You know, a lot of times you're sticking in beautiful scenery, breweries, you know, different types of people. I think the cool thing about those adventures in Iowa is that it brings out everybody. Like 
there was, you know, every type of person on that ride. And yet we all survived. We all kind of banded together and, you know, it was all about the bikes, but it was also all about being safe and making sure that we all got home in one piece. You know, those, those are the adventures that then prep you for the races and prep you for the events. And, you know, every year that those, that those stories or those pictures show up on Facebook, people are always sharing it like, Oh, do you remember this? And, you know, lovingly, we think about that, even though it was one of the toughest days in my life and one of the scariest in terms of the temperature changes in ice. It's still one of those things that I think makes, you know, the, the, the Iowa riding scene so special. Yeah. And it's a perfect example of, you know, when you were living that day, you probably were like second guessing, like, am I really, am I going to make it till the guy comes and picks me up? You know, like you were terrified, but then I bet you, you know, it took maybe a couple days, you know, you got everything thought out, had a good meal. And then you're like, yeah, that was awesome. Right. Maybe you don't want to do it again, but. (laughs) Well, we say that every year about triple D and yet, it's usually like a few days afterwards that everybody kind of comes together again. Yeah. It's like, Oh yeah, I really want to do that. In fact, this year was one of those years that was like, we had gone, I don't know if you remember triple D this year, but it was, there was a crazy snowstorm like the night or day before. Yeah. And so I was actually with a big, big group from Des Moines and we were driving to Dubuque and barely missed getting stuck in a snowstorm. And then we get to Dubuque and we all went out to eat. And I remember like the night before the race, everybody from Des Moines really had no idea other than Scott Sumter from Bike Iowa. I think nobody else had done the race before except Mm. for me. And the nerves was at dinner were just like, it was so palpable. Like everybody was like, oh my gosh. (laughs) And then the race was miserable. It was like like 30 30 mile an hour winds. Yeah, it was like 30 to 50 mile an hour sustained winds to the point that I think the first maybe 14 miles, about half of it, we had to walk and push. And even pushing the wow. bike was tough with the fresh snow and wind. Yeah. And then we got to the, the first checkpoint and there was roads. But, and I knew that if we got all the way down to the Heritage Trail, we'd be fine in terms of finishing. Um, and so I remember I was with Jen Bors from Des Moines and we, we decided to stay together for warmth and, and just for safety purposes. And we were riding like on the road, leaving Junction 21. And we thought, okay, finally we get to ride our bikes. And the wind was so strong that we both got knocked off our bikes riding on the road. Wow. And it was just like, what are we doing? But anyway, we were driving back to, or we were at at the end of the race, we were all kind of sitting around and we were talking about, you know, how we had to drive back to Des Moines. And we decided to stay because of the weather for an extra night. And I remember that the two other people that I went with, Shelby Cork and, and Jen Boris from Des Moines, we were all like, oh, that was terrible. Like, why do we sign up for this stuff? Why do we pay money? But then the next day we were driving back to Des Moines and the three of us were like already planning 2021, <laughs> saying like what we would do different and how we were going to stay together better and, you know, just the training that was needed to like go through that. So yeah. you're right. Like all these events, you know, at the time you're thinking in your head, oh my gosh, like, how am I doing this? And I would never yeah. do this again. And why do I sign up and pay money to get tortured like this? Yeah. And then the next day or the next week or the next month, yeah, like, oh, like, I can't, can't wait, wait for next year. <laughs> That's how I am with RAGBRAI. I've done RAGBRAI, I don't know, uh, I think 26 times. And there's always a moment during RAGBRAI where I'm like, this is it. I am never doing this again. Yeah. It's too hot. It's too hilly. It's too windy, whatever. And then, yeah, it takes me two or three days where I'm like, Okay, here's what I'm going to do different next year. So 
anyway. Um, do you have any, like, that was the coolest type moments in any of your races or adventures that you would want to share? I think the coolest adventure that I've ever done, and I am really disappointed it got canceled this year because there was a bunch of people from Iowa that were going to come out and do it. Um, in 2016, I did the double-triple bypass in Colorado. Oh, okay. And for those that don't know, it's six mountain passes, and it's an out-and-back over the course of two days, 240 miles. I think it was maybe 22,000 feet of elevation gain. And I think the coolest part of that event was the camaraderie of all of us from Iowa training for it. Mm. You know, people laugh when we said we trained for it in Iowa, but again, Iowa is super hilly, and there's definitely portions where, you know, there's portions of Dubuque that feel exactly like riding into the mountains. It may not be the same amount of sustained climbs, Mm -hmm. but when you get outside of Dubuque, when you get in the Driftless region, there's definitely climbs that prepare you for Iowa. And so we trained for months and months and months. Um, There was probably a group of maybe 20 or 25 people from Iowa that went. And I remember just the awe of of coming from Iowa and riding in the mountains and, you know, doing this two-day adventure where we're all sticking together and the scenery was just incredible and it wasn't a race. And so we weren't racing against the clock. And so we were taking advantage of, of the views and, you know, just of the ride and the miles and, you know, being on the roads and descending mountain passes mm-hmm. and climbing mountain passes and you know and then also like the joy of of riding up these mountains and wearing iowa jerseys or wearing rag oh, yeah. jerseys and having people from colorado be like you guys are from iowa like that's crazy <laughs> i can't believe that you can do this and um so that was amazing and you know i'm i'm disappointed you know in the age of COVID, i think just about everything's canceled and sure. so or everything's continued and so it's one of those it's one of the casualties of the COVID, but it's also one of those rides that i hope that people continue to to partake in and continue to train for in iowa because i think it's you know it's a once in a lifetime experience to to be able to train in iowa and then come out here and do something as epic as 240 miles and in 20 some thousand feet of elevation gain. Right. And so I've heard of triple bypass where you are doing three mountain passes. So is double triple meaning you're coming back? Like you're going? Yeah. So, oh. so double triple, you wake up then the next morning. So you sleep overnight then um, and then you wake up and ride the route in reverse. Okay. Wow. So you really are maximizing, yeah, the weekend and, and the riding. And, you know, seeing, I was just telling some friends from here because actually on our way to Utah, we passed through some of those mountain passes. And I was so tempted to get off and ride up some of the mountain passes, but I think that they're pretty snowy yet. When you go in reverse, you actually see, I mean, you see the other side of the mountain and you see things in a different light because you know when you're descending the mountains it's beautiful but you're really paying attention to the road because you're going so fast and it's so sketchy when you're climbing the other side of the mountain it's like oh my gosh i don't remember this from yesterday yeah it's just a completely different challenge and you know you even if you know if the listeners are thinking about doing it and only want to do one day they have shuttles that take you back to the start after the first day and even one day i think will really whet your appetite for, for mountain riding and, and for, you know, riding in beautiful places and also, um, you know, road riding. I think that that at the time, I think that I was kind of starting to get more into gravel than road riding. And I think that that really kind of kept my passion going for, you know, there's a place for road riding still in, in our world. And, um, it was, it was gorgeous. And then it was so cool too, to see, all the Iowa people, because I think everybody from Iowa got the memo that you're either going to wear a rag bride jersey or you're going to wear your Iowa team jersey or you're going to wear your collegiate. Like, I think the first day I wore my Northern Iowa jersey and then 
the second day I might've worn like a rag bride Jersey so yeah. that people knew that I was from Iowa. And I think that that was the amazing thing is that like, there were so many other people from Iowa that were there and including, you know, if you're familiar with like the rag bride scene, um, team bad boy was there that year. And oh, on I remember their, Steve, on their, with their gear. Yeah. With all their gear. Cause <laughs> oh, I remember like we looked back and we're like, are these guys really climbing a mountain with everything but the kitchen sink? And then the kitchen sink comes yeah. rolling by and the music and they had a wet bar and it was like, this is crazy. And then to, to learn that, to have the Colorado people learn, including my sister who rode with me that year and she was living in Colorado when she heard that that team was from Iowa and that they were doing that, it was like, Oh my gosh, Iowa has the raddest cycling scene in the world. <laughs> yeah. I usually, well, nowadays I do rag self-contained. And so yeah. whenever we're, you know, sitting on the side of the road, having a drink or something, when you see team bad boy pedal by, you know, you are way, way behind, <laughs> like, because they just, you know, they're just on their own schedule and they, they literally, I mean, if you guys, I don't know if they have a website, but they literally have a kitchen sink on the back of their bike and another guy has a full bar on the back of his bike. It's crazy. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> a quick interruption to tell you this week's podcast is sponsored by Lizard Lips Lip Balm. These great lip balms contain natural ingredients, come in a variety of flavors, and you can choose certified organic or balms with sun protection. Check it out at lizardlips.net. Now back to the show. Okay, so back to bikepacking. Um, I do ask this question a lot, and it's always fun, and maybe you don't have an answer for it, but do you carry any luxury items that you don't really need, but you take anyway just because they make you feel better? I don't think so. You know, I thought about that because I've been doing a lot of with my hand injury, and I'm biking again now. I've been doing a lot of backpacking, mm. and so I usually take... I usually take like a book or two. I guess that's the biggest luxury item yeah. I, I, I've taken. And sometimes th those don't fit the best. I just did a, a backpacking trip with all my bikepacking trip where I basically hiked from my front door and went up Pikes Peak. And I went up about five or six miles and then I unpacked all my backpacking stuff. And it's it's weird here because you have to save more space for bear protection. Oh. You know, in Iowa, you can bikepack and like – you know, like when I talked about that adventure the last time I bikepacked in Iowa was when we went to the to the drive-in movie theater. You know, we had a ton of space for, you know, like alcohol and, mm -hmm. you know, cards and books. and But here you have to have like a bear canister or, you know, like a bear bag and like bear spray. And so I found myself packing completely different and like, okay, what can I take for the bear minimal, minimalist to, to also be light? Because some of that stuff gets heavy. Right. Um, I made the mistake of, you know, I haven't lived here long enough to know how to stay ultra light in bear country. And so I took a bear canister, which was super heavy and a bad idea for anybody that's listening. Um, <laughs> if you're going to be solo and not car camping or not truck camping, do not take a bear canister. Try to take a bear bag that you can string up on a tree. Um, but I took a book and, you know, it's in, in the, in the age of COVID, I wanted some inspiration. And so I took um, David Goggins, I think it was called, you can't hurt me. Mm. And that was epic. Um, a lot of times when I bike pack, I'll take a hammock with me and I'll try to just like lay in the hammock and read. And, mm -hmm. and that's kind of my, that's kind of the oddities that I bring is that a lot of times I'm going places, either bikepacking or backpacking where I'm not going to get cell phone service. Mm -hmm. And so you need, you need to think ahead about how you're going to entertain yourself, especially if you're going by yourself. Like I usually do, 
and you know you're not going to have cell phone service it's like how do i stay sane for 24 or 48 <laughs> hours or whatever and for me that's books and a lot of times i guess the other thing that's weird i think is normal um but i'm kind of a weirdo is that i a lot of times i'll take a yoga mat with me and i will do yoga by myself mm. i'll meditate by myself and i think people see me with a yoga mat on my bike and they're like, what the heck? But <laughs> now that I live in Manitou Springs, Colorado, which for people that don't know about Manitou Springs, it's kind of like the healing capital of Colorado. Uh, I see people all the time with yoga mats on their bikes. and It doesn't seem like it's as it's as weird as maybe it was for me when I was riding around. And um, But I was kind of, you know, I would ride to, I taught yoga in Dubuque and I would ride my bike to yoga. With and always have my yeah. mat on the back, right. so I kind of normalized it. Right. Um, but now that I, <laughs> if I tell people, other people, like what to pack for bikepacking, and I would tell them to bring a yoga mat because it can also potentially double as a sleeping mat. People are like, "You are so weird." <laughs> well, and and I do consider both of those luxury items, like the yoga mat and the book. And the unfortunate thing is, they're both like awkwardly bulky. You know, you right. can't. Um, well, maybe you can do a extra fold on a yoga mat, but it's going to be long. At least it's lightweight, but a book, like you can't, you can only roll it up or smush it a little, you know, so much. And it, yeah. it is heavier than um, you think when you look at a, a book, but I mean, you're right. Sanity overrides uh, the awkwardness of it. Right. Um, okay. So we are in, you know, the life of COVID right now. So most scheduled events are canceled, but do you have any adventures on your horizon? Um, I'd like to do Pike, the Pikes Peak Trail, so I'd like to do Ring the Peak. Um, there's also a road bike ride coming up that I actually just posted in some Iowa groups. I know that travel is starting to open up a little bit, mm -hmm. and I know that they're going to socially distance at this event. But there's an event called the 917 on um, July 19th here, or 719, I'm sorry, and it's on July um, 19th here. And the reason it's called 719 is that that's the area code here. Oh, okay. And it is going to be 71.9 miles and 10,000 feet of elevation gain. Whoa. And so, but it's a road bike ride. And so I don't think that the, you know, I don't think it will be as intense as if you were, say, doing a gravel ride or a mountain bike ride or a fat bike ride with that much elevation gain. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's the next thing on my horizon in July. Um, but I also probably will sneak, start sneaking in some bikepacking events over the next few weeks. Mm -hmm. uh, I just got back from Utah. I went to Flaming Gorge, if anybody knows that area. I did a self-contained um, dispersed camping weekend and um, basically bought all my groceries here in, in Manitou Springs and packed all my water and used big jugs of water so I wouldn't have to stop anywhere. And then basically it's right on the Colorado-Utah-Wyoming border. And so we found camping in the, in the Forest Service camping, free mm -hmm. camping area, and then pretty much just mountain biked for four days, which was amazing. Um, so I'm still kind of recovering from that. Otherwise, you know, to tell you the truth, I'm so new to Colorado in this area that every day feels like an adventure. Like yeah. I can do so many different types of rides in terms of mountain biking or gravel or road. And, um, you know, there's so many loops. And as I said, I, I mentioned earlier, I just got back from the desert this weekend. Mm -hmm. And it's crazy to me that the desert's 45 minutes away. And it's, you know, such a palpable um, change in terms of, the you know, the lack of trees. And, and also the temperatures are so much warmer. Uh, but that's nice for me because it it tends to rain a little bit each day here, even though it's it's sunny, like 
I can't think of any days that I've lived here in the past few months where it's been cloudy or anything like that, sunny mm-hmm. every day. But it also, there's at least maybe 45 minutes every day where, where crazy storms come through over the mountains. Really? And so Pueblo, um, a lot of people go and ride there because it's the desert and it's dry every day, all day. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of like the mecca for mountain biking close to here. Um, I'd also like to, as things start to open up, I mean, I'd love to to do some other adventures in Colorado. Um, I need to get to Salida. I need to get to I need to get to Moab in Utah. Um, and so those are all adventures that'll come without yeah. racing. Um, I'm bummed that all the Iowa races are canceled because I definitely had planned a return. I, I was really excited for Ragby this mm-hmm. year. In fact, I had. There's a bike lodge here in Manitou Springs. If anybody comes to visit or comes to visit me. It's a great place to stay. It's it's kind of like a ski resort that's actually a bike lodge, oh, bike okay. resort okay. that's like ski themed and they do group rides, but they also um, host uh, cyclists and let cyclists sleep there. And they usually do, they have their own team that does ragbri every year. And so I was planning on doing ragbri with them and um, kind of meeting the new Colorado friends and then also connecting with old Iowa friends. Yeah. And so, you know, I think to replace some of that stuff, it's just going to be local adventures. Then it's going to be as things as we're allowed to expand, I think, going further in my radius and, um, you know, getting further in, in, in terms of, you know, places to mountain bike and places to gravel race and and also training for the 719 road race. Mm-hmm. And you've got, like you mentioned, you've got desert really close. You've got mountains. You've got beauty. You've got, you know, yeah. pretty much anything. But I can also say that for Iowa, I really learned this year because of the whole COVID situation, I made choices to go, you know, to explore different places, you know, because I'm like, I don't want to be on the trails now that everyone else is on the trails and you can't fault anybody for that. You want people to get out. And so that's, I think, how gravel kind of, you know, came into my life where I'm like, well, gravel everywhere in Iowa. So let's go explore new places. And I have found some pretty fun, you know, new places to explore, like once we can get back into group riding. Yeah. I yeah. think that's the great thing. I mean, it, you know, you hate to think of, of great things with COVID, but I think it has it has instilled in people a passion again for bikes. I mean, yeah. I think that's why you see bikes are so backed up in terms of buying bikes. Mm-hmm. But then I've also seen so many people that I know get into gravel because they want to socially distance because, you know, the trails, as you said, are packed. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you look at like you look at the high trestle trail in Des Moines, which is one of the most popular trails in Iowa, and it's packed. And mm-hmm. so people are, you know, they're like, I want to explore new roads and I want to explore new disciplines. And, you know, I think a lot of people here are, um, you know, they're, they're, they're jumping from road to mountain bike to gravel. Um, you know, you see people that you know, are, are doing these different rides and routes because they want to get away from people and they want to try something different, right. which I hope, you know, as things start to open up, and as people get back to normal in terms of group rides and races, I think I hope that people, you know, utilize these beautiful roads and beautiful routes that they found. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Did you tell me, I think you told me that you uh, found your dog in Iowa? Yeah, so that's a that's a good story. Yeah. So um, I injured myself on a bike ride. I was doing a winter training ride for Triple D and fell and hurt my spine. And at the time, I didn't know the extent of my injury. And so, 
you know, like the tough man or tough woman biker of Iowa, I just continued to ride all through the winter mm. and all through the spring. And then actually Dirty Kenza that year in 2017 is where it finally came to a head. Um, I came back from Dirty Kenza from racing 200 miles and I knew something was seriously wrong. I could not stand up straight. My left leg went numb. My left mm. foot went numb. Um, I knew at that point it was a medical emergency, so I went to the emergency room, and long story short, I had spine surgery, oh, wow. and it was emergency spine surgery, and so it kept me off the bike for a few months, and so it was really tough for me. It was the first time really in my adult life that I had was forced off the bike for any length of time, and so I lost a ton of fitness, but I kind of stayed sane by walking and, and kind of trying to incorporate other activities. I was finally able to ride again, and this would have been August of that year. And I was able to ride, but the doctor warned me, like, you can't ride. Like, you can't do the Chris rides that you're used to. Like, you can't go out and do 200 miles. Like, this has to be flat. This has to be chill. Like, they recommended I use my fat bike to slow myself down. Um, And anyway, one of my good friends at the time, um, I'm still good friends with her and still connected with her. And I'm sure a lot of listeners probably know her, Crystal Kovacs. Um, she's, she lives in Wisconsin right across the border of Iowa and Crystal is one of the most inspiring cyclists that I know. She's now kind of the face of salsa bikes. Um, and anyway, Crystal and her husband wanted to meet in Farley, Iowa, which was flat and which was going to be the perfect first ride for me coming off spine surgery. And so I thought that they would be a great couple. I mean, they're so inspiring, um, to ride with and, and to hear their story of how cycling has kind of opened up doors for them. Um, and so I met them in Farley and I basically unloaded my fat bike and out of the woods came the most beautiful yellow lab and his ear was hanging off. He was covered in ticks oh. and I didn't know what to do because I love animals, but I also wanted to ride <laughs> and it was my first ride. And so I called the police chief and said, you know, hey, we're ready to ride bikes and we have this stray dog here. And so the police chief like rolled up and basically said, I don't know what you want me to do. Like it's, Mm. you know, the Humane Society's closed. So I didn't know what to do. And so I sacrificed my first ride and took this dog home, put him in my truck, loaded him up, took him back to Dubuque. Long story short, I kind of fell in love with the dog. I mean, I did fall in love with the dog. And so after about two or three weeks of letting him heal and trying to find if he had owners and taking him from Humane Society, um, I eventually ended up adopting him. And so that's where he gets the name Farley is because we, Crystal and I, found him in Farley, Iowa on my very first bike ride after spine surgery. Um, If you follow me on social media, you'll see that Farley loves to bike. He's gone on adventures with me in Iowa. We rented, I think, one of the coolest experiences that the two of us had is that we rented um, a no-frills cabin in White Rock in Iowa, White Rock Conservancy, Mm -hmm. and just spent an entire weekend outside of Des Moines mountain biking together and sleeping in this primitive cabin. And we invited some friends, and they came along for bonfires and for mountain biking and gravel riding. And um, so he's he's really become kind of the, the bike dog that, I thought he would be. And so he's, he's perfect. And I think without the cycling community of Iowa and without the cycling scene in general, I don't know that I would have, I would have rescued him. I would have a dog in my life. Yeah. Oh, way to go. Farley. He, he found the right uh, person to come out of the woods and see. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, that's really good story. Um, okay. uh, Last question. 
any biking advice you can offer people after listening to this podcast? I think just go out and ride whatever bike you have. I think one of the questions that comes up a lot for me is, you know, what kind of a bike do I need? And I don't think it's necessarily what bike you need. I think it's the bike that you have or the bike that you can afford. Mm -hmm. My very favorite bike that I've ever owned was $1,000. It was a a Niner RLT, which stands for Road Less Traveled. And I rode that bike so much. In fact, I sold that bike when I got my Warbird a few years ago. And when I got hit by the car this last year and my Warbird was damaged, the first thing that I did was reach out to the person that I sold it to, asking if they were interested in selling it back to me. Really? And I, I think that, you know, I think that we often think that, you know, we don't have a nice enough bike or we don't have enough money for a nice bike or the bike that we have isn't right. And I think that the best advice that I have is to just take the bike that you have and ride it, ride it anywhere, mm-hmm. ride it on what you can. I mean, if you have bigger tires, you know, try to ride gravel. If you have a mountain bike and were like me in college where I rode my mountain bike to work or to school every day and, you know, around the Northern Iowa community, maybe try to see if you can do a single track trail on it or maybe try to do some gravel on it. I think that oftentimes people get scared and think that they don't have the right bike for the job, but I don't think that there is a right bike. I think it's just the the joy of being out biking. And I think you know, we know as people that have done Ragbri a bunch or, or people that have partook in Ragbri, we know that it doesn't matter what bike you have. It's the fun you have. It's mm-hmm. it's the training on the bike. You know, if you really get into it and are thinking about racing, then maybe you upgrade later. But I think find a group, you know, search on Facebook. That's one of the things I do when I travel. And one of the things that I do when I moved here is find all the local cycling groups, um, start exploring events on Facebook that are based on cycling um, because it's a really inclusive community. Um, go into shops. Um, you know, now that shops are opening again, I've made sure to like go in and introduce myself mm-hmm. and say, you know, I'm new to Colorado and, you know, and, um, you know, even, you know, we're so tempted in the age of COVID or even, you know, just in our, our, our um, internet society to buy everything online. But I also think it makes sense to, to go into the local shops, even if it's for something small, like a bicycle tube. Because you'll meet people and you'll get advice from them, you know, on where to ride or maybe some of the hidden gems in your community. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's worth supporting the shops. I think it's worth finding groups on Facebook. And I think it's worth riding whatever bike you have. I completely agree. There's nothing better than a local bike shop for, you know, immediate needs, but also uh, down the road needs, whether it be, like you said, finding a group to ride with or, you know, emergency maintenance on your bike. I completely agree. Right. Awesome. Um, do you have any like organizations or nonprofits that you want to give a quick shout out to? I love, maybe I'm a little bit biased because I did so much riding with them in Des Moines, but I love Bike Iowa. I yeah. love that. I love everything Scott's doing. I love everything that that whole group is doing for advocacy. I think they're super inclusive in the Des Moines community. Um, you know, there's so many good bike teams in Des Moines and they're one of them. I mean, there's too many to name. I mean, there's Bella Rosa and Sakari and everybody like that. That's, that's just so inclusive and so inviting. Mm-hmm. But I think what Bike Iowa is doing for the Iowa community is great in terms of maintaining a calendar, in terms of, you know, just a few weeks ago, I tuned into the Facebook live and Instagram live mm-hmm. ride of silence that they put on. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's definitely, I mean, if you're looking for rides, if you're looking for routes, or even if you're just looking to support Iowa, I just ordered some Bike Iowa gear from the website because I want people to know here, you know, that, you know, I'm Bike Iowa or that, you know, where I'm from, mm-hmm. I'm proud of my state. And I, I want people to know here, um, you know, that I support that state. 
And so if you're looking for gear, rides, or events, it's definitely a website to check out. And also the advocacy that they do for the community yeah. um, is great. And one of the things, too, I guess the last thing I'll say about Iowa is that they're really good for um, having bike libraries or, or for having you know, coalitions that support biking. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know the bike library in Iowa City. Um, there's a bike library in Dubuque. Um, in Des Moines, there's the Street Collective. And mm-hmm. so those are also worth supporting. And also, if you're looking for a bike, those are great places. You know, if, if your budget is tight to go in and see what they have. Or also, a lot of times, they'll have, like, open maintenance nights. And so those nonprofits are great in terms of getting everybody on bikes, all genders, all races, all ages, all budgets. Agreed. And back to Bike Iowa, uh, Scott Sumter just started a YouTube channel, which is pretty cool. I think he's, at least the time of this recording, he's only done a couple episodes, but it's it's exactly what you just described as far as uh, Bike Iowa goes. Yeah. Cool. Well, Chris, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I totally loved, I love your passion for Iowa and for cycling. And of course, I'm super jealous that you're now in Colorado. Yeah, well, if anybody wants to visit, they know how to reach me on social media or, yeah. or through you or, or through any any avenue because I'm happy to show it off, but I also definitely miss Iowa and I can't wait until it's a little bit safer to travel and there's group rides and events again and races and I can't wait to make my return and, and also see how different it is to ride when you can breathe normal. And right. <laughs> Here sometimes I feel like some people or people are on my chest when I try to breathe because it's just the air is so thin. Right, um, but right. definitely if people want to come and experience Colorado Springs or any part of Colorado or Manitou Springs where I live, it's, it's a perfect place to ride. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Chris. Thank you. I'll talk to you later. Well, that's it for this week. A big thank you to Chris for being on the show to talk about cycling and, of course, his love of Iowa adventures. He spoke a bit about Bike Iowa, and their website is simply bikeiowa.com. If you have a topic or the name of a cyclist you find interesting, email me at morphologypodcast at gmail.com. You can go to morphologypodcast.com to find good info, and I recently launched a YouTube channel, so if you want to see videos of the places I bike, check that out. I'll leave you with this quote from the unwritten book of morphology. This quote is from today's guest, Chris Welch. You don't need the best of bikes. Take the bike you have and ride it. Ride it anywhere. Think about it.